Welcome to the IMD podcast. My name is Haley McGuinness, and I'm here with Professor Shlomo Ben-Hur, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Behavior at IMD, and Nick Kinley, the Director of the Global Leadership Consultancy, YSC, to talk about their newly released book, Leadership OS, The Operating System You Need to Succeed. Why did you call it Leadership OS? What's this all about? Thank you, Haley. I mean, you know, the two of us spent the better parts of our lives, I mean, that's quite a, a lot of years at this point, focusing on the topic of leadership. Nick has been doing it in the assessment and selection of leaders, and I've been here at IMD and in my previous corporate life, focusing on the development of these. And leaders and organizations have come to us in our different capacities in our respective organizations and ask almost on a daily basis Uh, Who should we select and place in our top leadership jobs that we have? Um, How can I prepare myself for the job of my dreams at the top of my organization? And to answer these two questions, we, like many of our um, participants in our programs and the people that we assess, go to the books that have been written on leadership in the last 50 years and the tools that have been developed for these purposes, some of them even by us or by some of our colleagues, Uh, But if you look at the leadership industry, which we have spent uh, a lot of years in and been part of, um, it focuses very much on leaders' core components. If you get these behaviors and values and internal qualities right, then your performance will come. Almost like universal truths and rules that if leaders can follow in every situation, anytime, anyplace, anywhere, they could actually get the results. But what we see is that the capability approach is failing. The rules don't always work. Performance does not always come. It could be the same leader, I mean, the same man or woman that we've been following that could be very, very successful in some situations on certain jobs and then fail on other ones. And every single major leadership model has been found to not just not help in some situations, but actually make things worse and decrease performance. Mm, Very interesting. So there's no perfect and golden formula. Nick, could you give me an example of such a failure? Sure. The the best example by far is what's known as transformational leadership. Now, transformational leadership is possibly the most researched, the most well-known leadership model out there. And there is an endless array of books about it, all saying if you follow the rules of transformational leadership and there's four core rules to it, then you will be a successful leader. Which sounds fine, but the problem is, is that as researchers have looked more and more at it, they've discovered an increasing number of situations in which transformational leadership doesn't just fail to help leaders, but it can actually trip them up. It can actually make them less successful, it can actually decrease performance. So, for example, they found that if a leader's team is very goal-oriented, transformational leadership won't help you. Um, if you. If your team has a very traditional view of organizational hierarchy or you're working in a culture which has a very traditional view towards hierarchy, transformational leadership, again, won't help you. Um, if your team do not view the leader as, as, as one of them, it won't help you. Um, There's question marks about whether it will work in small organisations or in certain cultures. It can even lower creativity and performance in some types of personality. So 
researchers increasingly found that it has its limits. And it's not just transformational leadership. Just about every other leadership model that you can imagine, be it charismatic leadership, empowering leadership, authentic leadership, even good old-fashioned benevolent leadership, none of this stuff has been found to work in all situations. And all of them have been found to not just have their limits, but to actually decrease performance, to hurt performance, if you follow these so-called golden rules. So why do all of these models developed by scholars fail elsewhere? So I think, I think the main reason why traditional leadership models did not work or don't seem to work is, is because they present an oversimplified picture of leadership. Um, they kind of like argue that these specific capabilities will determine the performance and the results of your organization. And what they manage to do or what they fail to do, actually, is to ignore the contextual factors what it is that's actually going on in the specific context that that leader is operating within. It's the strategy of the business. It's the kind of industry that you operate within. It's the competitors that you have, uh, the behavior of those competitors. It's the culture of the organization. I mean, that might be very, very different than the culture of the organization that that successful leader just came from. Or the expectations of the leaders of what the leader should do and how they should do it. And in reality, what we see is that that context that very specific set of factors that determine your context is what changes everything. It's the situations that leaders face and those what they need to do to succeed, the impact that leaders have by affecting how others perceive and experience what they do. They are the reason that you can behave in some ways in the same way in two different situations and get very, very different results. So there seems to be some gaps in research with leadership, but why has all of these smaller components and itemized things that you've said, why have they been ignored by researchers? Because there's just too many of them. So uh, uh, I, I was recently reading a paper which listed over 52 different contextual factors that could, imp that could change the impact that a leader's behaviour had. And so if, if you had a model that incorporated all of these factors, just imagine the checklist a leader would have to go through in any particular situation, having a look at 52 different factors and then figuring out the interactions between them and then from there exactly how they need to behave. There's just so many if this, then that, then do, do that scenarios that the model would become unusably long, just unusably com complicated. You might be able to write a book on it, but no leader would actually ever be able to use it in a practical sit situation. And look... 50 years ago, this wasn't so much of a problem. The working environment was far less, so business was far less global. The working environment was far more predictable. If you worked, uh, so I'm, I'm English, and if you worked in an English com company, the chances are that you would be a white middle-class male with a, a team that consisted of white middle-class males, all of you from England, all of you from the same culture, and um, it was all very predictable. Um, these, we don't live in that world anymore. Um, I, I, in my own team, I, I have five different nationalities um, uh, who are all in different countries. Uh, so life has just got more complicated for leaders. The business world is more changeable. And so uh, context, these contextual factors have become more influential. So we just can't continue to ignore them anymore. 50 years ago, the old leadership models, you know what? We could probably get by with them. These days, we can't. Context is just so important. We cannot continue to ignore it anymore. 
And do you think that there are any other reasons, Shlomo, other than what Nick has just explained, that contribute to this? Well, I think, I mean, but I don't want to hurt the relatively fragile ego of some of our listeners, but I, I would argue that one other reason for why this is going on is the fact that as we go up the hierarchy, as we rise in our organizations, the jobs of leaders become much less about doing things themselves that directly drive results and more and more about directing and supporting other people to do things. So it's no longer that I could work extra hours or I could put an extra push or I would really dedicate attention to a specific thing in my own job as a CEO, as a top business unit leader head, that the results would actually come and follow. What we see is that what leaders do is actually what affects what it is that their team focuses on, how motivated people are, the level of cooperation that's going on between their business units, or how decisions get made, to what degree people speak up and feel that they're allowed to let their voice be heard. It's, it's to see whether people are comfortable challenging the thinking of the leadership and raising new ideas. Leaders don't really have direct impact on their business anymore. They actually do it through other people. I think you're absolutely right and I think one of the biggest things from having a boss is being able to feel some empowerment and given this the opportunity to be heard and be motivated. I think that's really important for an employee. Do you guys have any cases that you might want to touch upon that some of our listeners could relate to? Oh, we have lots of cases. Actually, the book is full with cases. I mean, <laughs> okay. and we portray them, I mean, in all different ways. We've been studying leadership in our classrooms, I mean, with our own participants through sort of like interviewing and surveying them. But we also look at sort of like very visible examples that exist. And one of those could be of, of a leader that I actually in many ways admire, but that is falling into some of the phenomena that we're talking about. I think one of the most brilliant transformational visionaries of our time Elon Musk, right? I mean, a guy who sold PayPal for millions of dollars, who established Solar City, Boring Company, SpaceX, and Tesla. Uh, this, this man is like a Renaissance man. I mean, this is the Leonardo da Vinci of our time. He disrupted industries and redefined society. If you're just looking at Tesla, one of his businesses in 2018 alone, I mean, it was worth more than $50 billion. He had more than 40,000 employees working in it. But if you're just looking at the last 18 months, we also discovered that this brilliant guy has called a rescuer in Thailand a pedophile and then wondered why he did not sue him. He said that he was considering Tesla private at $420 a share when the stock price was only traded, traded at $340. And he was smoking, smoking marijuana during a podcast. I mean, I'm not voicing any of my opinions about the cannabis uh, industry, but this is not sort of like a typical leadership behavior that we are familiar with. And we saw the repercussions of that. Within days, Musk was investigated by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. He agreed to pay a fine and to step down as Tesla board chair. He was asked to set up a board-level committee to review all of the executive-level public disclosures, including his own tweets. And in February 2019, just this year, he falsely tweeted that Tesla would produce 500,000 cars. And the Security and Exchange Commission saw this as a violation of the settlement that they just had with him and considered holding him in contempt. So would you want to work for him, for Elon Musk? Many people would say, absolutely, yes. I mean, he has this exciting, visionary style of leadership. But having a provocative, world-changing leader 
can be inspiring in some situations, but having him always be like that, seemingly regardless of the situation, could actually be frustrating, could be exhausting, and after a while just plain limiting. This mixed impact spreads in the system, and the system reacts as it did in this case. And I think even with speaking about Mr. Musk, I mean, recently with the release of his Cybertruck, he handled the, the media backlash really well when one of his test engineers threw the steel ball at the new Cybertruck and it broke the glass when it wasn't supposed to. I mean, I think that is maybe one example of how he demonstrated, okay, something didn't go well, but it's okay. Things aren't, uh, the way he reacted was really interesting from, from a media perspective. Um, in your new book, you're using the metaphor of a computer operating system. So whether if you're an Apple fan, an Android fan, what does that actually mean in terms of a book? <laughs> sure. So we've got, so the, the, exactly as you said, a computer operating system, we're talking about Windows, we're talking about iOS, we're talking about Android, we're talking about Linux. These are, are, are pieces of software that constantly run in the background of your computer. You may not realize that they're there, but they are, and they're really, really busy and important. Um, they manage resources. Um, so in terms of how your computer uses its processing power and memory, um, it runs, they, uh, they run apps and programs. They provide an interface for users. And it's absolutely critical. Uh, if your operating system doesn't provide a, an optimal working environment for your apps or your programs, then they won't run smoothly. And if, if, if your operating system fails, your whole computer fails. You know, the blue screen of death in Windows, we've all seen that once and had that sinking feeling. And it's much the same with a leader's operating system too. So for a leader, their operating system is the working environment that they create for their people. It's what enables them to get the best out of their people. It's what enables them to set very clear objectives and make sure that their people uh, uh, um, uh, uh, work on, on work streams and projects smoothly. And it's what sets the tone for how people treat each other at work. And importantly, this operating system is not just the product of how leaders behave. It's the product of how leaders behave plus contextual factors plus the personalities of the people working from the business environment, broader cultural issues. So it doesn't ignore contextual factors. It fully takes them in, into account. So the operating system is the working environment that leaders create. Interesting. I think that makes sense because we can't always control our environment, but we can control how we react to things and how things are going on within that environment. So maybe you can tell me a little bit more about what you have found during your research for this book. Sure. So I've, um, we've looked at, we started off with uh, having a look at 50 years worth of research into the relationships between leaders and the people who work for them. And, and we actually looked at over a thousand studies. Um, it's a massive and uh, a body of work that's, that's been, uh, that's had, had a look at this. You um, can tell that we've earned our Christmas, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Going into the holiday season. Um, and what we found is that there's three factors, three elements of the working environment or operating system that leaders create that really make a difference, that lead to better performance, that lead to happier employees, to more motivated employees, to more engaged employees. 
um, and that enable you to get the best from people, that make sure that work streams run efficiently and optimally, and enable you to get people working together well. Excellent. I mean, that makes total sense because when people are happier at work, they're willing to go the extra mile and do a better job, right? Sure. So what's this first pillar that you just mentioned? So, so actually, I, I would have been tempted to ask our listeners to say, like, what do you guys think? I mean, what do you ladies and, and gentlemen listening to this think about the most critical elements that need to be established in your operating system to have the right impact on the results of your business, of your operations. And what we found is that head and shoulders above anything else, I mean, in all of the research that was done and also in our own research, comes the topic of trust. Trust is the single most important element of a successful operating system. It's a vital driver of both individual and team performance and of organizational indicators like sales figures, like net profits. It, what we see is that it, it's... It's what increases discretionary efforts on behalf of your employees. It enhances the voice of your employees. It channels effort into collaboration across different silos or different departments in your businesses. This has strong neurological basis, which we talk a lot about I mean, when we um, discuss things in, in our book in more details. And it needs to be extended to everyone. It's not just to your direct reports, but it's also to your peers, I mean, at your level. Uh, it's also towards the bosses that you report to, the customers, the regulators, the analysts, everybody. You want trust to be part of your hallmark as a leader. I must ask, Shlomo, what happens if the trust is broken? That's really where the major repair work needs to happen. I mean, and this is where we challenge some of the leaders that we work with to be very uh, honest with themselves as they evaluate their key stakeholders that they work with and to assess the degree to which they actually think that they trust them or not. And then we go through a very long process of trying to go beyond the awareness and the inside to think about how do you go about repairing it. Mm, as they say, trust is, is earned, not given, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Nick, could you tell me about the second one? Sure. So the second component, the second element, is probably the one that, that leaders will feel most familiar with because it's clarity. It's the understanding that exists about the direction and strategy of the business. It's about who is accountable for what. It's about why things are important. It's about how things should be done. So this is, it's, it's the, the bread and butter, the mainstay of most leaders' general work and activities. It's what you need to ensure that people are aligned, that there's unity, um, uh, the things that are critical for, str for strategy Im Im implementation and business success. Now, just as with trust, we've discovered that there's a neural basis to it, as we see in, 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 in the research. On a very basic level, people dislike uncertainty. Um, when there's less certainty, stress levels tend to go up. But it's, it's, it's not just about uh, clarity, creating, ensuring that there's less stress and you've got happier employees. Clarity is essential just for people to know what they need to do, who needs to do it, when they need to do it by, how they need to do it. Um, so it's a fundamental underpinning of activity and, and the work that we do. What's interesting for us and what really, I think, comes out in, in, in the book is actually it's probably far more complicated to create than it sounds. It, it sounds like it should be a fairly easy thing of just saying who does, does what by when, but there's layers and layers to it. Hmm. Makes sense because aren't we creatures of habit? So when we know what's about to come, it's yep. like you said, the stress reflex kind of diminishes um, if we know what to expect. 
Um, the third pillar is momentum. How does that play in with something that's so concrete, like trust and clarity? How does momentum play into this? So actually, this was the trickiest one of all uh, when we were trying to define it because we were looking at all of the factors that emerged from our research. And as you as you were mentioning it, uh, when it comes to trust, when it comes to clarity, it's intuitively easy for, for leaders to understand. We called the third one momentum because it's actually an aggregation of a number of dimensions that are symbolizing or encompassing the energy and the drive for sustained activity that comes from motivation, from confidence, from being empowered, from the togetherness that people feel. Uh, and, and what we see is that this third component is what generates drive. It's when people work harder and persist longer. It's when they're looking at the execution as something that they actually want to be committed to driving, to be connected to with their hearts. Uh, we see that being associated with higher levels of creativity, of innovation, also entrepreneurship. Um, and, and, and what is also very, very interesting on the, on the other side is that we see that having momentum actually counters a lot of cultural toxins. Uh, it shields the company and the employees against levels of stress. Uh, it guards them against uh, descent into detail. So they, they remain connected to that clarity, to that vision, to where it is that we're going. And it also protects against siloed operating um, within or across the different parts of the organization. So th these are the three, trust, clarity, and momentum that are critical for success. Together, we see that they account for around 75 to 85% of how a leader's operating system affects the performance of their organizations. And high-performing leaders are high on all three. So this is not a situation where you could actually sort of like check out on one and do well on the other two. You need to have all three, but that cocktail, that mix could vary from one situation to another, from one context to the other. Nick, could you tell me a little bit about the possibility if this is a capability model because it sounds like one yeah so it it, um, it sounds like one but no absolutely not um, so capability models describe how you should behave they say do this do that be this way be that way but we don't say how you should behave this isn't a, a the Leadership OS model describes the impact you need to have. And fundamentally, those are two very different things. How you behave is not the same as the impact you, you have. Acting in a way in which you intend to be motivational is great, but it's very different from actually creating an operating system in which people genuinely feel motivated. It's the same with, with things as, as, as simple things like care. Acting in a way that, that, that you think is caring is, is, is a good thing. But whether I actually feel cared for, that's a very, very different matter. So we're talking about the impact you have, not the way that you behave. And we've actually gone out and tested this. We've actually gone out to, to check, are they, is it really different? Is impact really different from, from behavior? So we created a special survey tool that measures trust, clarity, and momentum, each of the elements in the operating system that leaders create. We've used this, we've, we, we've got responses from over two and a half thousand senior leaders from across the world. And what we discovered is that people rate operating systems differently from capabilities. In fact, completely the opposite way. In a traditional 360 review where you get feedback on how people behave, what tends to happen is that direct reports rate leaders 
9 to 13% higher than their bosses. So direct reports say, you're great. Your team say, you're, you're, you're wonderful. Your boss goes, yeah, maybe, you know, a little less so. With, with operating systems, with the impact you have, it's the exact opposite. Um, bosses rate uh, 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 leaders 4 to 6% higher than direct reports. So bosses say, you're great. The impact you have is wonderful. And your direct reports, your team say, yeah, well, you know, let's he's not that good. Um, so it's, it's completely the opposite. So the reason why this isn't a capability framework is because we talk about impact and not about behavior. Okay, so that's really almost inversely related, I see. Okay, I gotcha. Is there anything else you'd like to wrap up for our listeners about Leadership OS? I would say that, that if there's anything else left to be said, I mean, and, and obviously there's much more detail that we go to into the book, but I would just say that we believe, and, and, and we've had a lot of discussions between the two of us about this, is that what we're suggesting is a much more honest approach to leadership. Uh, we believe that to succeed in this increasingly complex context of a changing and global world that our leaders are operating within, um, we need to look beyond the traditional core components of models of leadership. Uh, leaders need to think less about how to behave and much more about the actual impact that their behaviors have. They need to focus more on building a great operating system and creating a high level of these components that we're speaking about, establishing more trust, which the organization is craving for, uh, creating more clarity that everybody is aspiring for and need in order to be able to drive results and, and drive the execution through really keeping high momentum. There is no one way in which this works. So unlike other books that would tell you this is the way, this is how it needs to be done, we argue that leaders need a bit of a trial and error. Um, it, it needs to be kind of like a calibration process that you go through as a leader with these three components to establish the best operating system. And in that sense, we think that we're just being more honest and more humble, recognizing the challenging task of many of our listeners, of the people we work with. And maybe with this, it's an opportunity to thank all of those people, uh, executives from all different parts of the world in a variety of programs and uh, settings that we have worked with in the last few years of this research that have contributed to this understanding and, and, and just a recognition that their job has never been more complex and more challenging than it is these days. And with humility and with appreciation to the daily challenge that they're facing, we believe that we're offering something um, that recognizes that complexity. Thank you so much, Shlomo and Nick, for sitting down to take the time today to speak about Leadership OS. And for all of our listeners, please subscribe to IMD Business School on Spotify to stay tuned to our next episode.